How are you all doing tonight? It's uh, chilly outside, but I've noticed it's not too cold for ice cream, at least for me. Um, and I, and uh, a lot of you eat ice cream. I know you've heard of the Freshman 15, right? I think I'm going to develop like the uh, Summit 7. I don't know. I'm making it up. But I, I'm gaining some weight here. Uh, it's hard when you have all the food you want. Anyways, you don't want to hear about that. Uh, the word for Summit is what? Never. Never. It's an invitation to grow in the grit necessary to follow Christ. Tonight we're going to start uh, by opening our Bibles to Romans 12, verse 11. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Romans 12, 11. This is, I, I wish this is a, like a passage that, you, uh, you know, a, a verse that you would highlight. And this, this is an important one, in my opinion. Paul is inviting us to grit that very few possess, but is incredibly necessary to follow Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never, right, which means not on any occasion, not at any time, not in any situation, not ever, be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's a high bar, isn't it? Never be lacking in zeal. Not at any time should you lack zeal. Not in any circumstance or situation should you lack zeal. Not ever. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in energy and forward movement for God. Not ever. I was married... uh, my junior year of college, which was a horrible idea, right? My wife and I, we, we, we were just kids, and we were, uh, you know, we wanted to get married, so we just said, let's get married, and, and we realized we would be poor together, but we thought, this is going to be romantic, right? It wasn't, you guys, just so you know, it wasn't. It was awful. We were like, so, we were destitute together. We weren't poor together. We, uh, we lived in student housing and the house we lived in was literally turned into the tool shed of the school the year after we lived in it. It was condemned. <laughs> and turn, and uh, in downtown San Jose, California, where I grew up, uh, what made matters worse was four months into a marriage, my, do- uh, my wife got pregnant. And uh, so my senior year, we had a daughter. And we were incredibly poor. To, to make ends meet, this was, this was my life. I would get up at 3 a.m., and I was a janitor for uh, two, uh, like I went and started my own business, essentially. I had two accounts. I was a terrible janitor. I, I eventually, I, I, uh, I was so tired, uh, you'll hear why, but eventually I left the keys in the door of a bank that I, had, that I was the janitor of, which is not the best way to keep a job. But uh, uh, I, I was a janitor until 7 o'clock, from 3 to 7 then I would drive home and make it to Greek at 7.30 because I was in Bible college. We had Greek, the hardest class in the school, and I would walk in smelling not awesome. And I had classes until 12.30, at which time I would leave either to uh, do the internship at the church I was at or I was uh, building fences and, and uh, you know, with a company. So I would either work at the church or I would build fences because we had to make ends meet. My wife was also in school. Then I would get home, uh, you know, whenever I got home, and have to take care of my wife, take care of my daughter, and do my homework, only to wake up again at 3 in the morning. I was also in the Marine Corps Reserve, so one weekend a month I was just gone, working all weekend. That was my life, and it was very, very difficult I love it when, like, when I talk to people and they're like, my life's hard. I'm like, tell me about it. And I just wait for them to get done. I said, well, let me tell you a little bit about my life. And uh, it's the end of a good discussion. Um, I remember one day driving home from the janitor job. And again, I had half an hour to tell Greek. And I was, as I was driving home, I just said, God, you know this season is just so crazy for me. And I, there's no way. I can spend time with you. There's no way I can seek you. I, I, I think you give me a pass until I can resolve my time. There's just, come on. 
And so I didn't uh, spend time with God that day. I figured he understands, and I went to class. And the teacher said, I don't know why, but I need to say this verse. Open your Bibles to Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. And I thought, oh, dang. God got me. There's not a time when you should lack in zeal. There's not a circumstance. There's not an occasion when you should be lacking in zeal. Not ever should you be lacking in zeal. Since that day, 20 years ago, I have been a student of zeal. I have studied it in Scripture, studied it in life. I have over 100 pages of notes for the sermon that I'm giving you today. We could be here a while. No, we're not. But I I have over 100 pages of information. Uh, um, I've... I've been studying over the last 20 years people in faith and leaders and why some people thrive in the faith and some people struggle and just seem to cycle over and over again. I have been studying leaders. Why do some people have the ability to just do things and others just struggle? And there are a lot of reasons But high on the list is zeal. And every time I study this, zeal gets higher and higher and higher to me on the list of reasons that people uh, thrive in our faith and as spiritual leaders. I believe zeal is one of the primary spiritual issues that we almost never talk about and we don't understand in our culture. And so tonight, I'm going to talk to you about zeal. I really have some musings. Um, I, I, I had three sermons, and I couldn't pick the one that I wanted, so I just kind of mashed them together. And so, so I, I, I have a lot to say, but I, and I'm going to kind of wander and meander. Please give me a little grace. This is just, again, musings uh, about zeal that I think will be helpful to you. It might be a little bit messy. Let's talk about zeal. I would love it, uh, if it matters to you, to get out a pen, paper, just take notes on your phone. I'll assume that you're not playing uh, Angry Birds, but you're uh, taking notes. Don't play Angry Birds. Uh, Okay, let's dive into the discussion on zeal. Most of us struggle with zeal because we don't understand it. We mistake passion for zeal, and passion and zeal are not the same thing. That would be worth writing down. Passion and zeal are not the same. Passion is excitement. Zeal is commitment. Passion is rooted in the emotion. Zeal is rooted in the will. Passion is a feeling you get for God. Zeal is a decision you make for God. They're different. Passion is about your heart for God. Zeal is about your strength for God. Because passion is rooted in the emotion, it is untrustworthy. Because emotions are untrustworthy. Emotions wander. Passion wanders. And when you base your life on emotion or passion, you wander. And you become untrustworthy. People who are rooted, their faith is rooted in passion. They lack character. They lack follow-through. They lack discipline. Zeal is just different. It is higher. It is better. Zeal is rooted in the will. Zeal is a decision. It's a determination. It's perseverance. Zeal stays committed when emotions and passions wander. People who are zealous are reliable, can do whatever it takes, resolved people. Zeal is better and higher than passion. You cannot build a relationship with God on passion. 
Because passion is unstable, because emotions are unstable. Emotions come and go. Don't you know that to be true? Can we talk for a second? How many of you admit that there are times when you are more passionate for God than others? How many of you can admit that? It's true for all of us. How many of you, like I've been following God for a while, there, there are times when I am so white hot passionate for God that I think, you know, I'm having such intense encounters with God that I kind of think I've crossed a line and I'm never coming back. You ever feel like that? Like I made it. I went to the right conference, I found the right revival, I, I sat in the right seat at the right time, and, it was, and I crossed the line, and I'm never going back. A new level. And I wish I could manufacture that type of emotion all the time, and I cannot. Because I have other times when I am so disconnected from God, seemingly. When I feel so emotionally uninvolved, when I don't feel like following, when I don't feel like God is present, when I don't feel like serving in the church, when I don't feel like getting up to do my devotions, I can feel so low that I think I've crossed a line and I'm never coming back, like something's wrong. And nothing is wrong. It's just the nature of of emotions and passion to be unreliable. Your, you know, our world goes through seasons, and so does your soul. You have summers, which are incredibly, uh, you, you remember summer, right? It's a really fun time of year. We have it in Georgia. You should check it out. Um, <laughs> summer. You have spiritual summers when you're white hot, when almost anything you do is awesome, and you're so excited you don't even know why. It's just so emotional. And then you have falls where you're like, why am I losing my emotions? And then you have winters where it's just gone. And it feels like you sit in darkness. And then you have spring when it comes back. And you will go through these four seasons spiritually in your soul, emotionally, for the rest of your faith. Emotions wander. It's unreliable. And by the way, you don't get to decide what emotion you have. You don't get to decide how passionate you are. Emotions come and go. You can't say, I'm never lacking in passion. You can't say that. As a matter of fact, God hasn't called you to that. It's never lacking in zeal. Most of us don't under, we get so confused on this because we mistake passion for zeal and we think the goal of faith is to always be passionate and it's not. You know in scripture, at least the NIV Bible, passion is always a negative term. Always. And I would say that's a little bit extreme, but passion is not as good as zeal. Let's just say that. It's an emotion. You can't always be passionate, but you can never be lacking in zeal because zeal is not an emotion. It is deeper. It is more important. It's more substantial. Zeal is a choice. You get to decide how zealous you are. You build your relationship with God on zeal, a choice, and it will stable you because your will is stable. You can never be lacking in zeal. Does that make sense to you? Zeal's better, stronger, higher, I've said all that. It has the ability, one of the things that zeal can do, and I, I think this is important that you catch, one of the things that zeal can do that passion cannot is pass through what we call at our church the B zone. Let me unpack to you what the A zone, the B zone, and the C zone are. We would say at our church that everything goes through three distinct zones. The A zone is where everything begins. It's way fun, way exciting, right? New faith, a new relationship, a new job, a new gym membership, right? Really fun, really exciting, high 
uh, possibilities, tons of possibilities, and no problems. That's what the A zone is like. The problem with A zones is they don't last. Inevitably, <laughs> hear that? That's just amazing, isn't it? The sound guy doesn't like what I'm saying. Everything starts in an A zone. Everything eventually moves to a B zone. New faith becomes stale faith. Struggle with sin, obedience, and emotionally unrewarding. Have you noticed that? Like, that's why new believers can be annoying, right? Because they're just so excited all the time. Because they haven't been through anything. New relationships uh, become old relationships. A honeymoon becomes a marriage. The honeymoon is fun, but in the marriage, there's work to be done. There's the breakdown, tensions, and problems. See, in the A zone, when you're dating somebody, you think they're like, oh my gosh, they're perfect. You don't understand. We complete each other. I found my soulmate. And then you get into the B zone. And you're like, who is this selfish monster that I married? <laughs> what happened? And listen, if all you have is passion, if all you have is passion, and you move, like everything moves from the A zone to the B zone, everything does. Life is not a permanent A zone. When all you have is passion, what you do is you bail and you find a new, you bail in the B zone and you find a new A zone. The number of times I talked to somebody when I was a college pastor and they said, well, I, I met a guy and he was amazing and we got into the relationship and then my, like, my relationship with God began to suffer because of the relationship with the boy. So I broke up with him. And I found a new guy. And then after a while, guess what? At some point, you're going to have to power through. You get a new gym membership. It's amazing, right? They have so many things. And then, then, you, then you, you get in there and you're like, this kind of sucks. After a month, and then you get like a bike. And you try that for a while. Listen, you're not wanting to get healthy. You're just chasing the feeling of being in the A zone. We like the A zone. And, and it, it ruins us. Let me tell you where I, uh, uh, this message really uh, uh, came home for me. I was talking to a guy who was 27 years old, and he was in college since he was 18 and still hadn't graduated from anything. And uh, sorry if I'm describing you. I don't mean to be. And I, so I sat down and I said, you've been in college nine years, you don't have a degree, tell me about it. This is the journey. Well, I, I thought I wanted to be an artist when I graduated from high school, so I went to art school. But after about a year, it got really hard. B-zone, hear it? So I thought, maybe God wants me to be a pastor. So I left art school and I went to Bible college. And... Uh, Everything was going great, A zone, but about a year in, it got really hard, B zone. So I thought maybe God isn't in this. So I thought, you know, I, I mean, he did this nine times. Nine times. Do, <laughs> that's unbelievable. And what happens when you are living in passion is you don't have the strength to power through a B zone and so you dive into you you start over find a new high a new rush a new excitement a new thing and as soon as it fades in the B zone you just come back right you start a new job and then my boss is kind of terrible so i left and i started a new job and then i wasn't getting paid as much as i thought i would and then i started a new job and then it just wasn't the hours right listen the boss is always terrible you never get paid enough and the hours always suck that's called work that that's why we call it work and in our culture listen 
you know, we got married, but then, you know, we just had irreconcilable differences. And so we, I just started over, and then I, you can go over and listen. People who live by passion rather than zeal, they wander. They're wanderers. You can see it. They go from thing to thing to thing. I went to a church, but man, the worship style changed, and it wasn't just what I wanted. So I bailed on it, and I went to a new church. And then, oh, you know what? I just wasn't feeling it. The pastor said things that really hurt my feelings. So I left that, and I went to the new church. And over and over and over again, and you're wandering around. And you're not even, listen, you're working so hard, but going nowhere. Because all you're doing is riding an A-zone to the next A-zone, to the next A-zone. Because you're chasing the emotion of new, fresh, and exciting. And the problem in life is nothing stays new, fresh, and exciting. And if all you have is passion, you will be a wanderer for the rest of your life. There has to be more. When you have zeal, You learn how to press through a B zone to a C zone where the problems resolve themselves. See, passion makes you a wanderer. Zeal makes you a warrior where you overcome the issues. You grow in strength by pressing through difficult things with zeal. I love your generation very much. I've given my life to serving your generation. And I believe you all have so much potential. Uh, I really do. You guys, what, just the, the, what you guys are capable of doing, um, I, I really believe this, that you, you will be the next great generation on earth. I really believe that. That's why I've devoted my life to serving you. And, uh, but as a generation, you value passion rather than zeal. You chase A-zones, and it's a struggle for you. Maybe not you as an individual, but you as a, as a generation, you do. And if you don't learn how to make the transition from passion to zeal, then all your potential will be wasted as you wander around from the new thing to the new thing to the new thing. Start up a new ministry, it doesn't, it's hard so you bail. Start up a new relationship, it's hard so you leave. Get a new job, it's hard so you quit. Never be lacking in zeal. And we live in a world, even inside the church, that makes much of passion and makes little of zeal. And God wants to right-size that tonight. God cannot use, will not use spiritual wanderers to build His kingdom. As a matter of fact, I just want you to consider this. God didn't put B-zones in your life to give you guidance. He, he put B-zones in your life to give you strength. He doesn't put B-zones in your life so that when you get to the B-zone, you know this isn't God because it's hard. Listen, whatever, not that you should be in any relationship, but every marriage is hard. It is. You know, uh, I, I hesitated to say this because you're going to hate me when I'm done, but here we go. Um, they've done studies. You know, the idea of romantic love has coincided with the idea, with the uh, the rise in divorce. You know, romantic love was only a concept uh, that was widely received in, in the West uh, for the last 200 years. Before that, you married because of land and because of status. And there was no divorce. And part of that was the Catholic Church and the, kind of the, the control they have. But, but as the notion of emotional love has risen, so has the rise of divorce. And they're coming, like there's an article in Psychology Today that essentially said the concept of emotional love is responsible for the rise in divorce. Because the emotional, romantic love feeling will inevitably leave. 
And the people who are relying upon it can't sustain the relationship. (laughs) You could apply that directly to our faith with God. God doesn't put B-zones in your life to guide you. He puts B-zones in your life to strengthen you. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. And I love that because it's wide open, all hardship. Anything hard. Does anyone have anything hard in their life right now? Okay, let me give you God's perspective on the difficult things in your life, the B-zones in your life. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not a true son and daughter at all. In other words, if you don't have hardship, then that, this passage says you ain't God's. And sometimes we think, God, we have hardship, God has deserted me. No, you have hardship, God is disciplining you. It's a sign that he's there with you, not that he's gone from you. At least according to the scripture. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for our good as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, right? B-zones kind of suck. But they're painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, C-zone, for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. God puts B-zones in our life to strengthen us, to move us from passion to zeal, to move us from being wanderers to being warriors. This is why the difficult things happen in your life. So, stop chasing passion, start choosing zeal. Stop chasing the next spiritual goosebump encounter. Start choosing spiritual grit. Zeal is stronger, deeper, better than passion. A-zone passion is what newly dating uh, couples have. C-zone zeal is what a couple that's been married for 50 years has. Passion gets married, zeal stays married. A-zone passion is what a new believer has. C-zone zeal is what a lifelong follower of Jesus has. Passion is where you start following Jesus. Zeal is how you stay following Jesus. We, in the college ministry I led, we always had these new believers, and they, just, they were just so excited all the time. And, just so, and you know in Scripture it says that uh, before somebody becomes a leader, they ought to be tested. And I take that to mean that before somebody can be a leader, no matter how excited they are in their new believer, you know, A-zone excitement, I want to see them go through a B-zone. I won't make somebody a leader until they've gone through a B-zone. No way. They don't know what they're talking about. Passion raises its hands in worship, which is good, but zeal says no to temptation when no one is looking. Passion worships God in the light when it feels good. Zeal can worship God in the dark when it feels empty. Passion chases goosebumps. Zeal chases grit. Never be lacking in zeal. Not ever. A-zone passion will get you fire up to change the world, C-Zone Zeal works long, hard hours with limited affirmation to actually change the world. I started a college ministry about 10 years ago at our church, and it started in my living room with five people, and it eventually grew to 600 people, not in my living room, and <laughs> we moved to the, to the church. We actually had about 50 in my living room, and it, was, and it was a mess, and they ruined my house and destroyed my carpet and my fridge, and my, I think that somebody scratched and ate in my table. It's still there. And uh, my neighbors hated me. They thought I was running like a, uh, uh, some kind of cult out of my house. They did. Um, and and uh, we would bake them cookies and give it to the neighbors and to try to appease them. But eventually they started calling the cops on us. And uh, so we'd have cops breaking into the Bible study at my house. And so we moved it to the church. And like I said, eventually it grew to 600 people. We had 500 people come to Christ uh, in the last few years. 
The first five years, it was incredibly difficult. You have no idea how difficult it was. Uh, it wasn't my job. It was what I was doing on top of my job. My wife, I would have to, you know, my wife had to clean the house. And then, uh, you know, because I would be at work, she'd clean the house. Then we'd have all these college kids over. They'd ruin it, and then they'd leave, and we'd have to clean the house. And, and uh, it was two steps forward, three steps back. We had three people sometimes early on. And we were doing a tremendous amount of work, and it didn't seem like a, a huge, uh, you know, result for the first five years. After five years, we broke 100 people. Uh, and the next three years, we did better, but it was still incredibly tough. Only in the last two years did we get really big and successful, at least numerically successful. And listen, if all I had was A-Zone passion, if all that the ministry team that worked with me all had was A-Zone passion, we would have never seen the C-Zone fruit. I had uh, churches, you know, after the 10 years and it was huge and whatever, churches would call up 12 Stone and come visit and they'd sit with me and, you know, all these pastors would be like, tell us how to build a big college ministry. And the first thing I would say every time was, do you have 10 years? Because if you don't, I don't know. And do you have five years where you're building it and no one cares? And no one notices and no one says thank you. Because if you don't have that, I don't know. See, what I'm really asking is, are you passionate or are you zealous? Anyone can start a little ministry for whatever reason. Anyone can start. Passion starts things. Zeal finishes things. You live in a generation that is more prone to start things than any generation. You, all you guys want to start a nonprofit. Right? You all have your awareness photography thing going on or whatever it is. <laughs> right? Which, by the way, let me just say, check out Google because I can become aware of anything really fast. I don't need you to become aware. Anyways, I'm just joking. Um, uh, all of you want to start your thing. I know that was mean. Sorry. Um, all of you want to start your thing. I know. That's great. But don't be confused. It's not going to be exciting, glamorous, awesome. It's going to be lonely, difficult, two steps forward, three steps back for years, and no one cares. And then after that, you're successful. And it, people who, who are, thrive are ones who are zealous. But if all you're doing really is chasing an A-zone, then just that's what's going to happen. And you'll do the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. You can be, you, you can be passionate about a hundred things. You can only be zealous for a few. I, uh, when I was leading this college ministry, I thought it would be cool to start a monastery. Right? Don't you want to, have you ever thought that? I would love to start a monastery. And, and uh, I thought it would be awesome to like bring people, uh, I'm, just, I'm so far off my notes, this is crazy. Uh, um, it would be awesome to bring people into this monastery for like a year and take away all their technology and make them uh, you know, just spend time with Jesus and serve the community and just grow deep disciples of Jesus in this monastery for this year-long monastic commitment I wanted people to make. Don't you think that would be awesome? I think it would be awesome too. Calm down. And, and uh, uh, so I, listen, I thought it would be fantastic. And then I started thinking about how much it was going to cost. Because you can't do that nowhere, unless you do the homeless monastic thing, right? And, and uh, so I started thinking about costs, and I started, started thinking about, you know, who would I need, and what would I have to do, and what would I have to give up to do it? And guess what never happened? A monastery. Because I was passionate about the monastery, but I wasn't zealous for the monastery. It sounded neat but I wasn't willing to sacrifice to actually make it happen. Anyone can have a vision. Anyone can have an idea. Do you have the resolve to spend long, hard hours with limited affirmation to actually make it happen? Never be lacking in zeal. 
Do you have that? Do you have that for the Lord? Do you have that in serving the Lord? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Lacking in zeal is going to undo you. If all you have is passion, you will be undone. It will undermine your ability to make an impact for God. It will undermine your ability to follow God. You will constantly fall away and then recommit and fall away and recommit and fall away and recommit because you're just chasing A-zones. About a year ago, I did a funeral for a friend of mine, a young man named Nick. He had just graduated college, and he grew up at our church, and he felt called to ministry, and he served in our church. He would stand in the very front row of the church on the college ministry night on Sunday mornings, and he would raise his hands, and he would cry during worship. He would sing like crazy, badly. This kid loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. And he died of a drug overdose. In the days and weeks as I ministered with the family and talked to them, it became clear he had something of a double life. He had a weakness that he couldn't overcome. He had his, he had his hands up on worship on Sundays, and he had a different lifestyle during the week. And I was processing with some of his college friends because this kid loved Jesus. He did. He had a heart for God. And they, they, they were asking about that. They said, they, um, they said, he has got a heart for God and it was real and you can't tell me it wasn't real. And they wanted answers from me like, how could this happen to somebody who had a heart for God like that? And I just, I had to think about it some and I just kind of came back to this thought. He had a heart for God, but he did not have strength for God. And those are two different things. He had passion, but he did not have zeal. He didn't. He was incredibly inconsistent. His heart for God was real, and it was very real. And yet, his lack of strength for God was real. And it was very real. He was chasing A-zones. The reality is the same thing that brought him back to worship to raise his hands is the thing that eventually caused him to do the drugs. He was chasing A-zones. He just chose the wrong A-zone. Passion will undo you. Passion by itself, will undo you. It is not enough. It will rob you of the best that God has for you. It will rob you of your potential for God. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So I kind of have three questions for you that I want to unpack, uh, and then uh, we'll be done, and this will, uh, you know, We'll, we'll walk through the, the three of them. The first one is this. And these are just maybe three arenas that I need, to, I need to ask myself, how zealous am I for God right now? How zealous am I in these three arenas right now? The first one is how zealous are you for the presence of God in your life? How zealous are you? Not how zealous have you been, how zealous were you, how zealous, you know, when you were in middle school, not how zealous can you be when everything's just right. How zealous are you for God, Never, for God's presence Never be lacking in zeal for God's presence. You should never lack zeal for God's presence. Do you realize that you are as close to God as you choose to be? Not as close as you want, but as close as you choose to be. All the barriers on God's side were removed by the cross. The only barriers left are the ones inside of you. Lack of zeal is the only barrier between you and God now. The Bible calls it lukewarm. By the way, there's two ways to get lukewarm water. One is you turn on hot and cold at the same time, and one is you turn on hot and then turn it off and turn on cold, and turn on hot and then turn on cold. And some of you, that's more like your faith. Sometimes hot, 
sometimes cold. I'm really on fire. I'm kind of falling away. I'm really on fire. I'm kind of falling away. In the bin, it's still lukewarm water. Still lukewarm. Are you fighting, praying, striving, seeking to live in the constant awareness of God's presence, or are you drifting in zeal for the presence of God? I was in Israel several years ago, uh, and uh, we went all over. It was amazing. You should have been there. And uh, we went to the Wailing Wall. Were you guys familiar with the Wailing Wall in Israel, right? And, uh, you know, in Jerusalem, this is the place. Okay, here's what it is. The Wailing Wall is the place where uh, the Jews can, like it's a wall, they can't go on the other side because that's the Muslim-owned, you know, it'll start World War III. And, and, but the, the Holy of Holies is on the other side. They can't get to the presence of God. And so they get as close as they can, and they get to this wall, and then they like just stand there and they pray. It looks like, a, uh, like an avatar that got stuck in the corner of some you know, social media thing anyways. Um, and they just pray there. And they're weeping because they can't get into the presence of God. And our tour guide kept calling it the Western Wall. Well, let's go to the Western Wall. Let's go to the Western Wall. Let's go to the Western Wall. And so I asked him, I said, why do you call it the Western Wall? I've always heard it as the Wailing Wall. And he said, yeah, by and large, the Jews aren't wailing about that anymore. Only a few of the really Orthodox Jews care. Most of the Jews have just kind of moved on. And I, he doesn't know it, but he blew my mind. The Jews don't care about the presence of God. And I went back to my hotel room, and I, I just, I did, I wept, and I wept because it was clear that I had done the same thing. There were places where I used to care about getting close to God, and I was drifting in zeal. And it had been, there had things that I had been wailing over and chasing and going after that I was just kind of, meh, it'll happen if it happens. I had a loud drift. He messed me up when he said that. We, check this out, this is the truth. We live in a culture where we're used to being chased. We're used to the marketing coming to us, making everything cool and awesome and sexy for us, right? We love to be chased, but God wants to be caught. God wants to be caught. The scripture says if you seek him, you will find him. It doesn't say he's seeking you. It says you seek him. And we live in a world where we just want to sit back and let it all come to us. God doesn't do that. We want to be chased, but God wants to be caught. In the Hebrew, there's two words that are primary for seeking. One means early, and one means often. That's a pretty good picture of what it takes to chase the presence of God. Early and often. Are you lacking in zeal for the presence of God in your life? Nothing can replace this. I love the uh, prophet said in Habakkuk 3. Listen to the zeal for the presence of God this guy had. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time make them known and in wrath remember mercy. What he's saying is this. He's saying, God, I've read the scriptures and I've looked and I've seen how you part waters and I've seen how you raise the dead. I've seen how you done all this stuff over there way back then. And what you did there and then, God, won't you do here and now? I don't want a faith that's all about papers in a book. I want it here, now. I want to experience this. Repeat it in our day. I want to walk in your presence like they did. I don't want to read about it. I want to experience it. I want to know it. That's zeal for the presence of God. Tozer said this about zeal for God's presence. He said, draw near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of desire. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out of season. And when they had found him, the finding made sweeter the longing all the more. Moses used the fact that he knew God as an argument to know him better. And God was pleased by the display of zeal. 
And the next day called Moses onto the mount and had his glory pass him. David's life was a torrent of spiritual desire. The Psalms ring with the cry of a seeker and the glad joy of the finder. Paul confessed that the mainspring of his life, the mainspring of his life, the burning desire was Christ. I want to know him. That was the goal. That was the aim for which he sacrificed. I count all things loss for the excellency of knowing him. Never be lacking in zeal for the presence of God. How are you doing with that? That's the first question. The second, how zealous are you for God's church? Psalm 69.9 says this, zeal for the house, zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. How zealous are you for the house of God, for the church? Back then, the temple was the house of God, the center of God's kingdom on earth. Today, that's transferred to the church. With all its flaws, with all its failures, the church is still the center of God's activity. David said zeal for the house consumed him. He so identified with the house of God that when people insulted the house, it was as if they were insulting him. He took it personally when people insulted the church. How are you doing with zeal for the church? I think it's become normal to criticize, tear down, and dismiss the local church. It's become normal. I think it's a shame. And I've had my seasons of being part of that. But I really don't anymore. I love the local church. I don't really want to say a lot about this, uh, except that I love the local church. I love it. It's the bride of Christ. I love it in all its expressions. I uh, happened to serve in a huge mega church with nine campuses, and I told you this Sunday we had 20,000 people. Remember when I said that? I know some of you, for whatever reason, and some people, for whatever reason, have to find some way to say something bad about the megachurch. I know you do. I hear it. I've joined it. They're shallow and impersonal, really don't care about people. You're so right. Like, we, people just keep coming no matter how much we hate them. It's so true. You're so right. <laughs> we treat them bad, and it's like we have a drug, and they just can't say no. Right. We've hated people, and they keep showing up. You nailed it. It doesn't even make sense what you're saying. If we don't love and take care of our people, why would they ever come back? Second, I, I just want the church, in all its expressions, to win. I feel no urge to insult a church because it's not like my own. I wish you would join me in that. The church is the keeper of the gospel, the hope of the world. I love the local church in all its expressions. I love the mega church just like I love the home church. I love the medium-sized church. I love denominational churches. I love non-denominational churches. I love super liturgical, you don't even know what they're talking about, it's Latin churches. I love way organic, they don't know when the service is going to end churches because they just they don't even know when it started. It just happened. <laughs> I love churches like that. I want them to win. I love all the churches in between. I hope that they win. I love them all. I pray that they succeed wildly. I do, and I think you should join me in that. I'll gladly give all my talent, all my energy, all my gifting, all my time, all my resources, all my money to help the church prevail. I believe a prevailing church of any kind, size, shape is the most powerful force to advance the gospel on earth. I believe that strongly. I believe that some of you men and women who are all excited to start a nonprofit should surrender that dream and join the local church. But I won't talk about that. I believe in church attendance. I do. I believe in church attendance. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone. I really don't care if you go or not. I'm just telling you about me. I believe in church attendance. I believe in showing up on time, ready to sing my heart out. It's a big deal to me. 
I love the gathering of believers of worship. I believe when we sing, we are declaring to a world and we are perhaps declaring to a spiritual world that our God is better. He is more worthy than the false gods in our country of materialism, consumerism, entertainment, and pleasure that rule our country. That we're declaring that Jesus is more worthy, that he's the real God, and those are false gods. And I would not miss Sunday to stand there and worship and be counted among the people who are making that declaration. I don't care, if, I don't care what the worship style is. I don't care. I want to be counted in the number that are standing up and declaring that our God is better than the gods that everyone who's passing by worship is, worships. I can't even say it. Attending church is not optional for me. I love it. David wrote, God's house consumed him. How zealous are you for the church? God's house. Last one. How zealous are you for the lost? How zealous are you for the lost? I won't dive too far into it, but in John chapter 4, it's the story of the woman at the well. I'll assume you kind of know it. Uh, the, Jesus and the disciples are hungry. And the disciples go to lunch, and Jesus changes a life. And the disciples come back to find Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And she eventually goes to tell the whole community what God had done in her life. And the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Mm, that's zeal. You don't understand. You guys are just eating lunch. I'm changing the world, and that is more fulfilling, exciting, rewarding to me. I have food that you know nothing about. That's zeal for the lost. I care so, he's like, I care so much for this woman. It's like food to me. I remember the first person I ever led to Christ. It was in my college cafeteria. I had been a Christian less than two months. True story. I was sitting in the cafeteria. It's like a bunch of round tables. And uh, there was a guy sitting all by himself. And I felt like God was telling me I should, I should talk to him about Jesus. And I was like, that's not going to happen, God. Sorry. And, he, and so I began this internal dialogue. I don't know if you ever had it where I'm like, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Well, what about this and what about this? And I'm just kind of battling in my head if I'm going to actually do this or not. And while I am doing this, he gets up and leaves, which I think is awesome. Like, I'm okay, so good that I don't have to do it. And then, like, conviction settled in on me. And I was like, oh, dang, what if he gets hit by a car right now, right? And, and what happens, like, if I was his shot at heaven? And so I prayed a prayer. This prayer was not for this guy. This was so I wouldn't feel guilty. Okay? I honest, that's what it was. God, if you bring him back in, then I will do it. So it's up to you. <laughs> and as soon as I prayed that, he walked back in and sat down. <laughs> Dang it. So now I had to share Christ with this guy, right? So I walked up to him and I said, hey, this is so awkward, right? I said, hey, I noticed that you left and came back. What was that about? Right? He said, well... I was walking to class, and then I remembered that our teacher had canceled it, so I came back here to do more work for the and wait for the next class. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and then I said, hey, I just feel like God wants me to talk with you about Jesus and about the gospel. And he said, I am so glad you're saying this, that I've been wanting to learn about Jesus. Would you sit down and tell me about him? And now I was in trouble because I had been a Christian two months. And I delivered the most reluctant, unclear, I don't really know, but maybe it's like this, gospel presentation. The guy could be a Mormon. He really could. I mean, I just was freewheeling it. You know what I mean? And then I said, would you, that's it, would you like to receive it? And he said, yes, I would. And we prayed right there in the cafeteria for this guy to come to Christ. And then I got out of Dodge. And I, I knew I had like some responsibility to him, 
but I didn't know what it was, so I just avoided him for a, like a year on <laughs> campus. <laughs> I did. That's what I did. And two years later, I saw him. He had found a local church. He was serving as an audio guy. He was in community, and God had radically changed his life. Radically changed his life. And, and uh, that was 20 years ago, and I'm not over it. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not over the power of the gospel to change a life. When, when we've seen so many families restored, I've seen what it's done in my own life. I would gladly trade in all my gifts, all my abilities, all my talents to be part of the gospel, of spreading the gospel. Of course I would. It's the hope of the world. The other day, I was actually, I was losing my zeal for the lost, and I was walking uh, in the park, and we have this little place where tons of people walk, and I was like, God, will you help me? Will you help me uh, uh, keep my zeal for the lost? And, and uh, as we were walking, this tiny little girl ran up to my dog and, and started uh, petting my dog, you know? And, and uh, so, I'm, I mean, she's there, the parents are way behind, so I'm just stuck with this little girl and my dog for a while, and, and, uh, and God just said, you see this little girl? I said, yeah, I do. Her only hope is the gospel. At the end of the day, it's all that matters for her. It's it. At the end, all that matters is the gospel. If she receives Jesus, then her eternity is secure for him, and if she doesn't, then her eternity is all messed up. All that matters is the gospel. And what happens with her? And I just, oh God, I have to, it matters so much. How zealous are you for the lost to see a life changed? Paul's calling us to spiritual grit, never be lacking in zeal. So I've been reflecting on how do you, what do you do with a talk like this, right? Some of you just realize that you have passion and not zeal. For you, I would say this, it's time to press on to deeper things. Leave childish passion aside. Stop being a wanderer. Learn how to conquer B-zones and become a warrior. Learn how to have zeal. Some of you, as we've been talking, you've realized that you lack, pre- you lack zeal for the presence of God. You're kind of, meh. For you, it's time to restore dissatisfaction. Beg God to make you dissatisfied. Some of you realize that you lack zeal for the house of God. Maybe you're even one of the ones who insults the church. Perhaps it would honor God if you would show, if you would ask Him to show you how to engage in church. Ask Him to show you which church you should join, which church you should serve in. Some of you just realize your love and zeal for the loss has grown cold. Perhaps it's time to ask him, God, help me. Help me restore my zeal for the lost. Help me to see them the way you see them. And then ask him for opportunities to share your faith. For all of us, we need to have the strength to have the grit to never be lacking in zeal. So let's pray as we close. Oh, Father, there really is no one like you. God, I pray for, I do, I pray for uh, this room. I pray for all the kids who aren't here uh, that go to Iwu. I pray that there would be a new day in the student body. And not that we have to, like, be, you know, Nazis, that every time somebody says passion, we need to like jump down their throat. That's not the point. The point is, God, that you would teach us how to be zealous. Whatever you call it, teach us how to be zealous. More than a heart for God, give us strength for God. Help us to move past emotion to commitment. To move past feelings to decisions. Oh God, make us more than wanderers for you. Make us warriors for you. I pray that that would be a new day at this school. God, I pray for us that you would make us zealous for your presence. 
that we would be so dissatisfied when we're distant from you. I pray that you would make us zealous for your house, God. Raise up in this room a generation that loves the church that you died for, that you built on your blood. And God, I pray for uh, this people that you would raise up an army zealous for the lost. That it would not be okay with them that people all around them are going to hell just like it's not okay with you. Make them zealous. Help us to never be lacking in zeal. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Bless you guys. Dismissed. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow morning.